Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Atkinson, and yes, I am serious. I'm just not serious about leaving. The Lord bless you. You may be seated today. It is such a privilege and delight to be here, be a part of this men's retreat. Uh, this is a first for me. Never attended a meeting of this type before but I already like it and uh, certainly is a beautiful sight to look out here and see uh, this congregation of good men from various churches that have taken time out of busy schedules to come and lift up each other's arms and strengthen one another in the Lord and I have uh, greatly enjoyed what I have heard already today. Brother Pixler, my good friend, and also Brother Townley. Very inspired preaching. Brother Pixler makes me mad. Nobody ought to have that much talent and be good looking too and be able to preach on top of it. <clears throat> Amen. But I'm glad there's people like that in Pentecost. Some got it and some don't, but uh, I'm glad I know them anyhow. And I'm looking forward very much also to the ministry of Brother Wilson tonight. And it be a highlight for all of us, I'm sure. In fact, I am trying to persuade the brethren to just yield my slot tomorrow to Brother Wilson since he was not able to minister last night, and I am serious about that. But we'll just have to keep working on it. Maybe we'll make it happen. But get somebody from that far away. And um, we want to benefit from uh, good ministry all that we can. And I have been impressed also with uh, the facilities here. So nice, beautiful. I mean, completely far beyond my expectations. I don't know really what I was expecting, but it exceeded it. And uh, I like these brethren's style uh, of doing things. I preached the family camp earlier, as Brother Atkinson said, and on my way it suddenly dawned on me that I had not asked whether I needed to bring my own bed linen and towels and soap, things of that nature. And I thought, well, I'll just wait until I get there, and then if I'll go to Walmart if I have to. But I ended up staying, I guess, in the private quarters of the the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, nicest room I have ever stayed in in my life. Um, never stayed in a finer hotel. So uh, these facilities sure have come a long ways from the old Brush Arbor meetings. I like this kind of Brush Arbor. <laughs> Amen. Air conditioning and all that is just, I tell you what. I'd like to have that old-time power without the old-time mosquitoes. How about you? <laughs> of 
course, in the state that I pastor, the mosquito is the state bird, so uh, that's where they invent them and grow them. So get them away. I like what we're doing here, good food we've just partaken of, and I know that I'm going to be laboring a little bit probably against um, a little hog fever here, probably. But uh, one thing I do appreciate, I have five hours from 1 to 6 o'clock. Amen. Appreciate that, brethren. That was very thoughtful of you. Might even go for the record today. I don't know. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, it's just good to be here. It's just good to be here. And I do have a message that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart. I, I, I have to be honest with you. I came here very open-minded, very with my heart open, I should say. I hadn't uh, locked in on anything before I came. I thought and prayed about it, of course, but I wanted to wait and see what I would feel when I got here. And after arriving last night... I felt the Lord began to deal with me concerning this message. I feel even stronger about it right now, although <clears throat> there are a couple of reasons why I hesitate. And uh, number one, because there are, I think, maybe two or three individuals here who have heard me deal with this before. And secondly, because. The brethren that have already preached today have so thoroughly dealt with some of this already till there almost seems to be no further need. But as I said, I feel even stronger about it now than I did last night. And so I feel compelled to go ahead if you'll just let me obey the Lord here today. Praise God. And uh, we'll see what the Lord will do for us in our midst. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me again? In the Word of the Lord to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Thank you. Sponsors for the gracious invitation to come. It's my earnest desire to be a blessing to you and to your uh, men that are here. Second Corinthians 12 <clears throat> and reading beginning with verse number 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself 
I will not glory, but, on, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And I want to, for my subject today, just draw a few words from these verses. In verse number 2, Paul said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Let me speak to you about a man in Christ and the thorn in the flesh. A man in Christ and the thorn in the flesh. If you'll help me one more time, let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless us. Jesus, we come to you again today. Lord, of all those present, I feel the least qualified and the least capable to discharge this duty and responsibility. But I ask God that you would give special anointing and unction to the preaching of your word today, as you already have this morning, that you would use me for your glory, for your honor, and help me to communicate vital truth to the hearts of those that will hear. Continue to work on us today, God, as we tune our ears and hearts to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you today. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture that I read in your hearing is one that has been debated quite often and been the subject of a lot of speculation and controversy. And one of the reasons for it, perhaps, is because Paul himself, in writing these words, is somewhat vague as to just exactly who he is referring to and the exact nature of the circumstances involved. Undoubtedly, we all have opinions, and if we were to poll everyone today, especially 
the uh, Bible scholars that are present, we would probably come up with at least a half a dozen interpretations, maybe, maybe more. But allow me just to talk about it the way I see it. And if it doesn't just exactly groove with, uh, uh, with your interpretation, if you'll just hear me out, and I think that at least in the application we'll all be able to agree. But he begins this very strange narrative with the words, I knew a man in Christ. I knew a man in Christ. More properly, the word here should be, I know a man in Christ. I personally believe he's talking about himself and not an acquaintance of his or someone that he had come into contact with. He is being very modest. He is detaching himself a little bit from this experience, perhaps because of a feeling of unworthiness or insufficiency. So he refers to it in the third person, I knew a man in Christ. Also notice that he uses the expression in Christ. And therefore, I believe that he is referring specifically to a time, a spiritual high, a zenith, a pinnacle experience, if you please, that he had enjoyed at one time. Maybe it was of a short duration, maybe it was a protracted thing, I don't know. But this much is clear, if he was indeed talking about himself, it was so unique, so extraordinary, that he cannot confidently tell you whether it physically happened to him or if it spiritually happened to him, whether in the body or out of the body. I cannot tell. It was so unique and so superior and so profound and so beyond normal human emotions that it was a feeling of, of enrapturement, of being carried away. I think that at least to a certain degree I can relate to that, maybe many of us can here today, because... I think maybe we've all had certain experiences that were so beyond the usual and the normal that we cannot even properly define them. They were so extraordinary. And we remember them very fondly because they were so unusual. I remember one time Brother Mefford, Dallas Mefford from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, he was telling me about a, a very special service they had one time at his church in which the Spirit of God was moving so spontaneously and so wonderfully through there. They had tried to start service. They were incapable of doing so. The song leader couldn't get a song off the ground. The musicians were so involved in worship they couldn't play. And finally they just gave up and just let the Spirit take over. 
And so there is no singing going on. There's no preaching going on. There's just wave after wave of glory sweeping through the house. Wish it happened like that all the time, but you and I both know that it doesn't. And so he was walking up and down the aisles. He'd come off the platform, was just circulating through the congregation, observing his people while this was going on. Folks were shouting and dancing and staggering around, you know, like it happens. And, and uh, he just rounding around there, enjoying the atmosphere, enjoying seeing his people get blessed. And he happened to pass a brother in the church over to one side of the platform. He was staggering around. He'd get up on his feet. He'd fall back down. Get up on his feet. Fall back down. And he was, if there was any such thing as being drunk on the Holy Ghost, he was absolutely drunk on the Holy Ghost. And as he passed by him, this gentleman was down on his hands and knees. And he wasn't aware of Brother Mefford being close by. He wasn't aware of anybody else being close by. He was just down on his knees, and he'd been trying to get up on his feet, and he was shaking his head. And he said, Brother Mefford heard him say, No more, God. I can't take no more. I don't know that I have ever been able to say those words, No more, God. I can't take no more. But I can say that I have felt things and experienced things that were way beyond normal human emotions. Paul's experience, if indeed it was his, was so grand that he described it as being lifted up into paradise in which he saw and heard things that were not permitted to utter. Evidently, during this time, he had great spiritual insights and divine revelations imparted to him. And again, in a limited way, perhaps we can identify with that. No doubt there are many in this congregation today that can say that you have, as well as I, experienced times in church or in personal prayer or in devotion that we felt like we had been literally raised up above this normal earthly realm. And we had felt and seen and heard things that were so unique and special to us, there was no way we could even communicate it to anybody else. Maybe, like me, you have had times when you wanted to, and you tried to tell somebody about it later around the coffee table, but you couldn't even express it. You couldn't phrase it. It didn't come out right. Instead of people being impressed with your experience, they may have looked at you kind of funny. So you gave up trying, and instead you just hold it dear in your heart and in your mind as a very special time in the presence of the Lord. You cannot verbalize it, you can't express it, you can't explain it. Amen. We have felt uh, so lifted up in God that it defies human comprehension. Perhaps part of the reluctance in, exp in expressing it is because we don't want to appear to somebody as being too spiritual or being better than anybody else or as though we are bragging or boasting in ourselves. 
But there is a desire to share and to glory in it and to boast in it. But sometimes we hold back. We don't want to be like others perhaps that we've heard about who just got so uh, spiritually minded they were no earthly good. Or they ended up living in a spooky realm. So we just kind of play it safe and keep quiet, keep it to ourselves. We don't want to be like others who have ended up shipwrecked. But this was without a doubt in Paul's experience something that was way beyond the usual and the normal. So, to counterbalance that, please stay with me a little while. He goes on to say that lest he would be exalted above measure, because indeed the risk was there. We've all heard of those that God used in extraordinary ways. They ended up going off the deep end. And they ended up dying uh, disillusioned and embittered or in false doctrine. Amen. Paul said there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. Here again is room for a whole lot of speculation and consideration. Just exactly what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. I'm not going to try to give that answer today. We've all heard and, and maybe expressed it different ways. Some say it was a physical infirmity. Some go so far as to say it was a disease of the eyes because he in one place mentions that, that the people of the church he was writing to would have plucked out their own eyes and given it to him. Uh, some historians say that it was, some, it was a very uh, nauseating and embarrassing thing. that His eyes ran constantly. I don't know. Uh, but he said this much. It was a messenger of Satan. Amen. Was it a man? A physical man? Or was it perhaps a demonic power? I don't know. Maybe it could have been a man that was being used by a demonic power. We do know for one thing that there were certain individuals from Thessalonica that hated Paul. They hated him so bad it wasn't enough just to see him leave town. They followed him around to other towns he went to and harassed him. They were men, Paul describes them, of the baser sort. Well, Luke does in the book of Acts, of the baser sort. They were sons of Belial. Amen. They were wicked men that hated God and hated truth. And they went around tormenting the man of God everywhere he went. Amen. Whether it was an infirmity, whether it was a human being, whether it was a demonic power, I don't know. I know that I have had times in my own life when it seems like the enemy has harassed me in a very specific way. I went through a period of time a few years ago, can't even explain it at this point, but it seemed like every night during my sleep, the enemy would torment me. I would wake up in the middle of the night rebuking the devil. It would scare my wife to death. I, I could wake up and, and my skin would be crawling. I could feel the presence of the enemy so intensely. I remember my dad telling me one time many years ago when I was a young man, he said, son, the devil doesn't even respect you when you're asleep. 
He tries to take advantage of you at any time when you are more vulnerable or more defenseless. I'm not sure exactly how all that works. It tapered off and it hasn't happened in a long time. But I know this much, that whether physically or humanly or in a spiritual sense, Amen. We are going to experience the type of things that the Apostle Paul described. Whatever it is, whatever form, fashion, or nature it takes on, this much is clear. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Praise the Lord. I want to make one thing clear here today. I don't claim to know a whole lot, but this much is clear to me. At least it has been true in my life. Like it or not, whether this is really a characteristic of a life of faith or an individual that is walking close to God or not, you'll just have to judge. But it has been my experience that there is a certain amount of the harassment of the enemy that you and I are not going to be able to escape. I know what the Bible says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it doesn't mean he's going to be gone and never come back. One way or another, you are going to go through times and ways and situations in which the devil is going to come to harass, to torment, to hinder, to challenge, and to oppose. And you're not going to be able to get away from it. Amen. Many years ago, I hope you'll just let me take my time. I don't really feel pressured or anything. But many years ago, when my father had first got into a little town, I may have told this before, uh, but uh, he went into a little town to start a church, São Vicente, right on the coast of Brazil. Uh, my mother was, was expecting my oldest sister. She was large with child. And my dad was in a back room praying by himself. And all of a sudden, he felt the presence of the enemy come into the room. And it so startled him. It was so, uh, uh, so forceful that he, he uh, leaned back from the bed that he was kneeling by and looked up. And over in the corner of a room, indistinct, couldn't make out features or characteristics, but there was, a, there was clearly a dark form there standing. And that form began to speak with him, called him by name, and said, I know who you are, and I know why you are here, but I am in charge, whatever term he used, of this area, and I'm going to fight you, and I'm going to oppose you until I destroy you. It was so overwhelming that my father, who was just a very young man then, exclaimed out loud. My mother was in another part of the house. She heard him cry out. And she came and opened the door, and when she stepped inside the room, the power of the enemy was so intense that her hair stood on end, and she screamed out loud without even knowing what had just taken place. I'm here to tell you, we fight a very real adversary that is not excited about you being in church, that is not excited about you living for God. 
that is not excited about you trying to lead your families in the right way. And there are going to be times when it will assert itself in your life in one way or another. It may differ in its approach from one individual to another. But this much will be clear. It will be a messenger of Satan sent to buffet you. Amen. I want to also impress the fact that this was no mere small irritation. Whenever you look up the definition of the word thorn here, it is not just a little splinter. It's not just some little thorn off a, a bramble bush or something of that nature. The word thorn is literally defined here as a sharp stake. It is as though it is an impalement. All the way through you, it was a major, major hindrance to him. It was something that caused a tremendous amount of grief and distress to him. It was not just a slight inconvenience. It was something so powerful that he goes on to say he asked the Lord on three different occasions that it might depart, that it might be taken away from him. Amen. Let me pause here again and, and say a little bit more along the lines of what Brother Pixler was saying earlier. I know that sometimes we, we get to thinking that Satan and suffering are things considered to be us or evils that we should always be free from, that we should always be rid of. Not realizing that there are times that God uses these instruments and means for our own perfection. And as soon as the trial comes, we pray and we want God to immediately remove it. As soon as temptation comes, we pray and we want it to immediately go away. As soon as the devil begins to work, we pray and we expect him to immediately remove himself. As soon as the skies cloud over, we pray and we want the sunshine to come through immediately. But there are times, my brethren, when God is going to allow certain situations to remain for a time in our life in order to perfect something in us. He cannot get there by any other means. And this ignorance as to how God operates us, as Brother Pixler already stated, sometimes causes us to literally pray against the will of God. Take it away. Remove it. Get it out of my life. And sometimes because we scream and squeal loud enough, God, because He is a pitiful Father who pities His children, Amen, will sometimes then for our sake remove it. But that that He is trying to accomplish, He still will do. So you might as well get ready for it. At some later date, it's going to come back. And you're going to have to overcome it one way or another. Amen. And God is going to see to it 
amen, that we are perfected, that we make that journey, brother, um, townly from here to then. Some way, somehow, we become more like Him. We are reactionary creatures. Our tendency is to respond to situations the same way the world does. But whenever we can get to where we can respond to injuring, amen, to somebody spitefully entreating us with a Christ-like character instead of lashing out and trying to get even. Amen. The only way that God is going to instill that in us is to put somebody in our life to torment the living daylights out of us. And as we receive new endowments of grace and revelation, we are going to then be put to even greater tests than we had before. Amen. I remember some years ago, how could I forget? I'd only been married five months, and uh, my wife was seriously burned in a freak accident from both knees on down. Third-degree burns, horribly scarred, amen, and disfigured. It has been a tremendous trial in our lives, physically for over two years, that she was in bandages, and those wounds oozed and bled. And uh, it was a great source of, of ag anguish to us. But even after that, the emotional scars and the other things that we've had to deal with along the way. But, uh, and, and maybe I'll get back to that later, but I remember the night that it first happened. It was so shocking. It seemed so unnecessary. I could not, and I confess to you, I still cannot to this day find rhyme or reason for it happening. We were only five months married, excited, launching out into life. Everything was going great. Amen. We were so enthused, so happy. Why would this happen? I was preaching a revival when it happened. It happened on the construction site of a new church building where we were preaching. Amen. It, it really hindered my ability to function as an evangelist for some time. It didn't make any sense. And that night in despair from the hospital, I called up some of my preacher friends. And I remember calling Brother Roger Evans, my friend from West Palm Beach, Florida. And after his initial shock at what had happened, and he felt so bad and he couldn't help but just exclaim in that way for a little bit. But then he stopped, got a hold of himself, and he knew that the real reason I was calling is because I needed some moral support right then. I needed somebody to say something that would help me. And I was still quite young and, and in my early 20s. And Brother Evans said, let me tell you something, Jonathan. He said, God is not going to raise up strong men by making them lift feather mattresses or feather pillows. He's going to raise up strong men by making them lift heavy weights. He said, I don't understand why this has happened to you, but one thing is for sure. The only way you can ever be strong is by bearing burdens. They may seem unfair. They may seem uncalled for. There might be things we felt like we didn't deserve, we didn't ask for, amen, we didn't, uh, we didn't earn, but they come nevertheless. 
But Paul said, I want this to be lifted. Please take it away. Amen. Sometimes the choice that we have is for God to lift the burden or to reveal a greater grace to us than we had before. And I'll tell you what, when we finally start thinking the way God thinks, we'll get to the point where we say, Lord, if this is necessary to get into a different realm in my experience, then don't. Take it away. I remember on the very afternoon that my wife was burned, I was kneeling by my bedside praying in my travel trailer. And I, was, I remember distinctly because that night it came back to me. I was kneeling there and I was praying, God, whatever it takes to walk closer to you, I'm willing to do it. And suddenly when I said that, a cold feeling came over me. And I thought, do I really mean that? I actually stopped praying and I leaned back from the bed and I thought it over for a little while. Am I really willing to live up to this? And then I put my face back into the mattress and I wept. And I said, God, I don't know perhaps what I have just asked for. But this much I do know. I want to walk with you, whatever it takes. And I still feel that way. But sometimes we are refused literal answers to our problems in favor of spiritual blessings. I wonder if we're willing to make that trade. But this is something else that I really want to get across here today. He mentions this thorn and notice the avenue of approach that this messenger of Satan could use. He said it was a thorn in the flesh. This is the avenue for harassment. And this is, at least in my mind, the paradox of every believer. We talk about Jesus being both God and man as having a dual nature. And that's true. To some degree, so do we. We have a dual nature. We are both spiritual and we are carnal. As much as we would like to distance ourselves from the flesh, we can't do it. We'd like to only be spiritual individuals. But like it or not, we're also carnal individuals. Let me say this. I know that the Bible calls the devil our adversary, and he is. And we would be badly mistaken to downplay that. But can I tell you, at least concerning that adversary, the Bible does say resist him and he will flee. Try to resist your flesh and see if it flees. You carry it around with you every day, all day long. It is there. And it is there as, and it is also an avenue that the enemy can get close to you through your flesh your carnal nature and as individuals with this these dual natures we are apt to experience the full range of feelings and emotions associated with both natures 
We can be very spiritual individuals. And same individual can be very carnal as well. As spiritual individuals, we can experience the highs of our experience. Times when our faith is so strong, nothing frightens us. Nothing intimidates us. Times when our vision is so clear, when our trust in God is so complete, when our prayers are so effective, when our labor is so rewarding, when our walk with God is so resolute, when our love is so fervent, when our motives are so pure, when our convictions are so sure, when our determination is so firm, we feel absolutely invincible. Times when everything comes together so perfectly. Times in which we exhibit traits and characteristics of a real man in Christ. When other people might admire us and say, wow, what a spiritual person. What a mighty individual for God. And they want to be like us. Times when nothing can discourage us. Times when nothing can intimidate us. Times when there is a surge of power and strength that is so great that it makes us feel undefeatable. And that nothing can separate us truly from the love of Christ. Times in the presence of God where we want to roll up our sleeves and go looking for the devil. We feel like nothing, nothing, nothing can stand in our way. What we are feeling at that moment is the man in Christ. And thank God that we have those feelings. Thank God that we can have those emotions and sensations. And we can know that we really belong to Him. That we are really His children. And we can know when the devil comes to us and challenges us just like he did Jesus. If you are really the Son of God. Amen. And when we can say, yes I am devil. I have the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues just tonight in this service. I ran and shouted. I felt the presence of God. Amen. And we feel like there is absolutely nothing that can get in our way between here and glory. Y'all are nodding your heads because you know what I'm talking about. you felt it, haven't you? I trust that you have. We can look back to a tangible, real, and dated experience. That's why I'm so thankful for the salvation plan as we know it. And I'd hate to be like so many other denominations. Well, yes, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Amen. And other people, they can't even look back and remember exactly when anything happened. Thank God He has given us an experience we can look back to and say, It happened there, at that time, at that location, at that point in my life. And you can't deny it and you can't take it away from me. It's real, it's genuine, I possess it, I claim it, I have it. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
That's what you're feeling right now. It's the man in Christ that's standing up inside of you saying, I believe I can make it. I believe I can go all the way. I, can be I believe I can do something for God. And I'd like to feel this way always. Times when we feel like the Bible says, we can mount up with wings as eagles. We can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint. We get up and testify, devil can't put too much on me. Times when we think we can move mountains. We can divide the sea. We can run through a troop and leap over a wall. We can walk on high places with hinds feet. We can sit in heavenly places. We can fight the good fight of faith. We felt all of that. I have. Have you? Times when we can say, like the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things. Here's the key through Christ which strengtheneth me. I knew a man in Christ once. <laughs> oh, I could say that today. I can remember times when I felt like I could pray and it would happen right then. And I've seen it happen right then. But then we also experience the other side, the lows. Seems like every time we turn around and we think we finally got it all figured out and we've got the mailers down pat, some variable changes and we are painfully reminded of the frailty and humanity of our flesh. And we are aware of how weak we are. And we have to come back to church and sing again, I am weak, but He is strong. Why is it that sometimes we can shout on Sunday nights and be discouraged by Wednesday? and wonder if we're going to make it or not. Now, I know that's not the way it should be, but I'm not talking about the way it should be. I'm talking about the way it is. We can get a new blessing, scale a new height, revival comes, we're all pumped up, ready to go. And then discouragement comes, disappointment comes. Things that we expected to happen a certain way don't. And the next thing you know, we're down in the dumps. The same individual that was raised all the way up to the third heaven is now all the way down there wrestling with a messenger of Satan that is buffeting him.
And the same individual that stood up on church night and confidently affirmed how they were going all the way, all of a sudden is embarrassed by negative thoughts and feelings and desires that surprise even ourselves sometimes. Suddenly we're wrestling with hatred and bitterness and resentment. And all of a sudden we're not worshiping. We're looking across the aisle and we're shooting daggers at that person that did us wrong. Oh, I know nobody here has ever experienced that, but I know people that have. I knew a man once. Why is it that so many of these emotions are still found within our churches? And even as we have heard today, lust and lasciviousness. And when it happens, we think, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I didn't get it. Maybe I don't have it. Oh, not everybody thinks that, but there are those that do. And we think, how can the same individual who felt so good, so high, so lifted up, now all of a sudden be wrestling and groping with these feelings and emotions that are surging through him? Can I tell you here this afternoon, you're not alone, and neither am I. I read in the pages of this holy book that I have in front of me that Israel shouted on the other side of the Red Sea and then sat down a few days later and complained at the bitter waters of Merah. I read where Elijah outran a chariot and prayed a prayer and the rain came after three and a half years and a few days later he's sitting up under a tree feeling sorry for himself wanting, to, wanting God to let him die. Man, there have been times when God has anointed and blessed me when I really did think I was called to preach after all. And then there are other times, and more recently than I'd like to admit to you today, when I have said out loud, God, why did you need me? Maybe that's being too honest. But David in the book of Psalms wrote, Amen, he alternated between praise and victory and despondency and defeat. Back and forth he goes from despair, amen, to euphoria. Abraham got so strong in his faith at one point that he could offer up his own son out of his love for God. And then on another occasion, he could lie and give up his wife in order to save his hide. Peter could recognize Jesus as the Christ. And so much so that Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then changed the topic and started talking about his sufferings. And the Bible said Peter took him and he said, be this far from you. And Jesus wheeled on him and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the things of God. You can't savor them. The same man. 
I'm talking about a man in Christ and a thorn in the flesh. Oh, that we could always act and feel and behave and perform on the level of a man in Christ, brethren. And that's the ideal, and I hope we're striving for it. But we have this thorn. And whatever your particular thorn is, and again, it may vary from one to the other, but I'll vouch for this much. Whatever it is, it's gaining access to you through your flesh. Paul examined himself in the seventh chapter of Romans. I may have lost some of you already, but I hope you're listening to me. He began to examine himself in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter. In the second half of that chapter, he is looking at himself aside of the power of God. The Holy Ghost is not mentioned there one time. The words, I, me, and my are found over 40 times in those few verses. It is an examination of self, and it's not a pretty picture. Paul says things like, I am carnal, sold under sin. He said, the things that I would, I do not. The things that I would not, that I do. We're not talking about Paul before his conversion. He's looking at himself right then. He said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But there's another law in my members and it's warring against this law in my mind. And somehow or another, it brings me into captivity. And it goes back and forth and back and forth so much it almost gets tiresome just reading those few verses until you're ready to cry out along with him when he reaches the end of the chapter and he exclaims out of desperation, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death. If I just didn't have to cope with this flesh, if I just didn't have this carnal nature, what I couldn't do for God. Hey, man, I, I, somehow I see Paul writing that letter in prison. Maybe he wasn't. But I see him writing there and he's contemplating this and looking at it and he's writing until finally lays his pen down in desperation. Oh, wretched man that I am. How many here have, have, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have felt that way at some time or another? God, I know what I ought to be. I know what the ideal is. I know what I'm striving for. But oh, what a wretched man I am. I want to be a man in Christ always. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of action. I want to be a man of revelation. I want to be a man of inspiration. I want to be a man of great spiritual accomplishments. But every time we turn around, our flesh, the enemy knows just how to exploit it. Our human emotions, our human nature, our carnal nature, amen, is getting the best of us and we find ourselves back on our face saying, God, I can't take another step if you don't help me. I'm so glad that he answers his own question in that chapter when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And then the eighth chapter of Romans begins with the words that Brother Townley or some one of these brethren used earlier today. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. And that's where the answer is. And he goes on to, to highlight then the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not I, me, and my anymore. It's the Spirit of God that makes all the difference. And we know that that's where the answer is. But Paul said, I have this messenger and it buffets me. And it buffets me and I ask God, take it away. And God said, my grace. I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons why that God doesn't automatically remove this is because He is determined that no flesh should glory in His presence. I don't care who you are, what you've accomplished, what you've achieved, how many hours a day you pray, God's not going to let you walk in and feel real good about yourself. Feel like you're some super spiritual specimen and somehow you've attained a higher level. As high as your revelation goes, you remember this. God's going to counterbalance it with something to keep your feet on the ground. He wants us to feel constantly our dependency upon Him. Amen. In comparison to others, I know. In comparison to others in the world, we can say ourselves that there has been given unto us an abundance of revelations. Friends, we know things that nobody else in the world knows. We know things that Albert Einstein never figured out. We know things especially our president nor her husband has ever figured out. Amen. We know things that the high officials in our country don't know. The professors of higher learning don't know. Those that have written complex, amen, books and textbooks on all kinds of subjects. We know things rocket scientists don't know. We know who Jesus is. We know there is one God. We know what His name is. We've been baptized in that name. We know the plan of salvation. We know the Acts 2.38 formula. Hallelujah. There has been given unto us an abundance of revelations. And He's filled us with His Spirit. He's given us the Holy Ghost and set us on the road to heaven. My God, what an awesome privilege. What a responsibility. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God has highly favored us. God has smiled upon us. Others that tried to figure it out never did. But look at you. Look at me. He pulled us out of obscurity and gave us great revelations and put us on the right road. I thank God for it. Amen, amen. You can be seated. And I tell you what, in the light of that, if it takes a little trial and tribulation to get us through here, if it gets some temptations and some battles with the devil to get us to the other side, then so be it. God has done so much for us. He has blessed us so much. If it's nothing but one trial after another, it's still worth the journey. 
If it's one conflict after another, if you have to spend all your life fighting that devil, go ahead and fight him. You've got something far more precious, far more worthy, far more deserving. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. And so, somehow or another, in spite of what God has given to us, He wants us to constantly feel our need of Him. You know good and well that we don't pray very well when things are going well. Now, I know that's not the way it ought to be. But again, that's just the way it is. Some of you have reached that higher plane where you can do that anyhow. And I salute you. And please pray for the rest of us that are still climbing up the rough side. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just stating a fact. And <clears throat> sometimes folks get to feeling so secure and so confident in themselves. They don't need the divine helper to keep on walking. They don't have to pray. They've got this all figured out. They don't have to seek God. They already know all the answers. Let me tell you something. I'm afraid of somebody who claims to know all the answers. I'm afraid of them. When I hear somebody start spouting off and they start telling me, I'll tell you what I'd do in that situation. I'll tell you the way I'd handle it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I want to get away from them. I want to, I want to get up and move to another table. I worry about you. I'm afraid of you. I'm scared of you. I thought you're supposed to know some. We know some answers, yes. But I'm just afraid of somebody who's so full of answers that he's ready to tell everybody else. I'll tell you what, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. If it was me, I'd tell you what I'd do with those kids. If it was me, I'd tell you what I'd do with your wife. I'd tell you what I, I'd tell you, I'd tell you. But you're not me. And I doubt very seriously you're doing that well in your situation either. Praise the Lord. We'd like to rise to every occasion and do so with faith and do so with poise and do so with dignity and do so with spiritual valor. We'd like to be the perfect example of the man in Christ on all occasions. Amen. You know, there was a time when I first married my wife, or just before we got married, she had been in a bad accident. She, poor thing, she's been in a lot of accidents. She was in a bad car wreck and, and broke her back. Crushed two or three vertebrae in her back. <clears throat> they were all fragmented. She lost one inch of her height. She wasn't very tall to begin with, real short. But it was a bad situation. The doctors told her at that time she may never have children, that she would face perhaps crippling arthritis later in life and this and that and the other. And I was very concerned about that. We weren't married yet. And one day I was down praying, and I just, I, I felt the presence of God. It was so real. 
And I was praying about that. And I said, God, I know that you can walk in where she's working right now. She worked as a secretary in a bank. You can walk in where she's working right now. And without her even knowing it, you can touch her and heal her right now. And I, I, don't, I can't explain it, but at the moment that I prayed that, I felt the prayer go through. I can't explain it, but I just felt it go through. She called me some few days later. I was in Missouri preaching revival. She, was in, she lived in South Bend, Indiana. She called me all excited late at night, past midnight. She said, and she'd had to wait that late because I'd been in church. But she called and she said, I went to the doctor today for a, another checkup and had another x-ray taken. And she said, you won't believe what happened. So the doctor came in and was holding two x-rays. And one was of my back after it was broken, and the other one was the x-ray he had just taken that day. And her back was perfectly normal. There was not even a fracture mark. She regained her inch and her height. She needed all she could get. She regained that inch, and she has never had any back trouble from that day till this. I believe that God completely healed her. Now then, five months into our marriage, as I mentioned before, she was seriously burned. I prayed. I said, God, I believe you can. I believe you're able. But it was hard. I, I went in there one day, uh, well, the day after it happened, and the doctor took me out in the hallway. He said, I've got to explain some things to you. He said, because of where the burns are, there's not much flesh in front of the bone there. And there's a very high risk of blood clots forming in her legs right now. And he said, I just want you to be advised if that happens. In order to save her life, we will have to amputate. I thought, oh God, how can this be? I got in my car, and many of you have gone through a whole lot worse. I'm not trying to set myself up, up above anybody. But I got in my car, just a young man, trying to preach revivals. Got in my car, and I drove down the highway, and I put... The cruise control on about 55, that's what the speed limit was then. And I drove, I don't know how long, with tears just pouring down my face. I couldn't pray. I couldn't say a word. I believed God was able, but I couldn't say a word. I bit my lip to keep from charging God foolishly. I walked back into the hospital. Here she was with this cage over her legs so the sheets wouldn't have to touch the burns. And she was shaken from her head to her foot, almost in shock from the pain. And it was incredible. And this went on for many, many, many days. And months later, when, uh, or a number of weeks later, when the nerve endings began to kind of rebuild themselves, and I was bathing them every day with bandages. And we had some, Brother Ballastero had bought us a, <clears throat> a whirlpool, portable whirlpool thing to put on the tub to swirl the water and cleanse the burns. And, and when I would touch burns, she would scream, just blood-curling screams, and it would just go all through me. And I was trying to be strong. And I would have to leave the, the room and go stand behind the door and cry and come back in and work on her some more. I'm telling you, there's times when you lose all your poise. A few years ago, I had a tragic situation in my church. A young lady in our church married a young man from a church uh, 
another church in the area, very fine young man. I personally performed the ceremony. They'd been married for a year and five months. And uh, one night I got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning that there had been a, a tragic explosion at the Sitgo refinery there in Sulphur. And uh, 15 or 17 men had been seriously burned. Some of them, few of them had been killed instantly. One or two just vaporized, incinerated. They never found a trace of them. And this young man, her husband, was burned 90%, 95% of his body. Only the top of his head was not burned. All the rest was burned. And I had already been through all that with my wife in terms of the burn centers. And, and I knew the odds that, that this young man was facing. I knew that if God didn't intervene, he was going to die. And uh, I went over to the young lady's house, and and she uh, she was at her mother's, and she was I, when I walked through the door, I could hear her running up and down the back, uh, the the hall of the house, screaming, at the top of her voice, "Why me? Why did this happen to me?" Well, you're the man of God. You're supposed to have the right words to say under those circumstances. You know what I did? I went back there and I wept with her. I don't care how strong you are. There's going to be times when you're going to be keenly aware of the fact you're just flesh and you need God desperately. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Why don't we lift our hands and just love Him for a moment? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Jesus. 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 Praise God. I'm going to try to hurry today. I know I've been up here over an hour already, but please bear with me for just a little bit longer. Can you stay with me here a little bit? The Apostle said this one time. He said, when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, and within were fears. And this is the great contradiction. God said to Paul in this situation, He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The word perfect there, of course, means complete or fulfilled or consummated. My strength is consummated in your weakness. Strength has to have an outlet for it to be strength. Strength has to be exerted towards something for it to be evident, for it to be apparent. It seems as though God delights at times in our weaknesses in our frailties, in our infirmities, because only then can He display His power and His strength in your behalf. Amen. And, and he, he delights in this to the point that the Apostle, when he got this revelation, he, he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know that word rest there literally means tabernacle. That the power of Christ may 
tabernacle over me. Amen. Isn't it a wonderful feeling when you feel like your back's against the wall and hell is raging and you don't know where else to turn, but you come into the sanctuary of God or wherever you might happen to be and you lift up your hands and, and you say, God, I just need you right now. And suddenly the presence of the Lord just overshadows you. The glory of God just seems to tabernacle over you. I'll tell you what the Bible said. Blessed is the man that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. He shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And oh, what a comforting feeling it is. And what a secure feeling to know that God is resting upon you with His power. At that moment, you do feel nothing can touch me. Nothing can defeat me. Nothing can overwhelm me. Nothing can overcome me. Because I am dwelling under the power of the Most High God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God knows. God knows that there is a good possibility. We would never ask for it. if we weren't forced to be put into that situation. So He refuses to take it away. He told Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. I don't know what you're facing today, but I'll tell you this much. God is able to deliver you. But if He doesn't, if He doesn't, I have even a better proposition for you. If you'll seek the Lord, He will tabernacle over you. And you will feel and see and experience what you never dreamed was possible. You'll come out of there with greater revelations, a greater realization than you ever had before. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can remain standing. I'm closing. This is the hidden side of all of us. You know, we come to meetings like this, and as I survey this congregation, I can't tell one single thing about you. I know this much that at least the majority of you, if not all of you, have a special spiritual sensitivity or you wouldn't be here. You didn't have to take time out and spend money to come to this meeting. But you came because there was something in you that wanted to reach higher, a higher plane in God. And so that probably in itself separates you from the rest. But as I look across this congregation, I cannot tell what you're going through. And I'm not going to go through here calling people out and saying, God showed me this and God showed me that. I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying I'm not going to do it. But God knows. And you know. While I have been preaching and while these other brethren have preached here today, I'm quite certain that God has talked to your hearts about things that are troubling you. I'd be very surprised if there is a single person in this building today that does not have a thorn in your flesh in some way. Either an individual, a person, a situation, a trial, a tribulation, an infirmity. You felt perplexed and dismayed because you've had times when you just felt like you could 
bluster through anything, but all of this has got you perplexed. It's got you feeling vulnerable, helpless. You feel your weakness. Maybe not. Maybe you're here today at a time of spiritual height. It's so wonderful. Treasure it because from the third heaven, it's just a short drop to being buffeted. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You want to know something else? The word he used there was wrestle. It's a far more physical conflict than a boxing match. You watch a wrestling match, and I know you've heard it preached many times before, but it's a very physical, tumultuous thing. Two individuals wrestling on the ground, flipping over and over and over, and arms and legs, you don't know what's attached to where. devil knows your vulnerability and he goes for it and he won't leave you alone and in some cases God will remove it and in other cases he's going to say my grace is sufficient we have some ministers standing here and I can speak from experience maybe I'm again being too honest but there have been times when I've gone to meetings and I've laughed and smiled put on a good front and nobody knew that I was dying inside that I was in agony of spirit because of situations and I needed help desperately and I needed somebody to say something to me that would help me along the way we've learned how to camouflage all that real good but you know you know Bible says that we groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to win the redemption of our bodies brother Townley I believe already referenced that the Bible says that the spirit itself maketh intercession for us groanings that cannot be uttered every man here has experienced no doubt both a man in Christ and the thorn in the flesh. Which is predominant right now in your life? I don't know. But I will give you this before I close. That the God that we serve is compassionate and understandable enough that when He came to this earth, he did not come in a higher form than what you now live in. But the Bible said He took on Himself not the form of an angel, but He was made lower than the angels, just like you and me. And we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, as He was in all points tempted even as we are yet without sin. You know what it says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find grace to help in the time of need. I made reference to this just not long ago preaching, but years ago I was preaching in Shelbyville, Indiana and when Elder Cadmus was still living, 
Cavanaugh Sr. and Brother Snyder's here, he would remember Sister Mary in the church years ago, and she'd testify. They have what they call prophesying services. It's really just a testimony service. That's kind of an old-fashioned term for it. Instead of having preliminaries like a lot of us do, they just start in with prophesying service and folks might give a testimony or they might start a song and the rest of the congregation will join in and it just goes like that. Sister Mary was standing there waiting your turn and she was rocking back and forth behind that pew. When it came her turn, without any preamble, she said, You know, Jesus knew what to do with his flesh. He nailed it to a cross. I dropped my head and started weeping. But I tell you this much. When he went to Calvary, he took not only his flesh, but he took the symbol of our infirmities. For he wore upon his head a crown of thorns. He cares about your situation. He may not remove it, but he'll see you through. I wonder if while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Brother Pixler, if you could begin to play something, please. I know we had prayer earlier, but I just feel the Spirit of God here. And our meeting's been reduced in time and opportunity, so we need to just grasp for it when we can. Maybe you're looking forward to a little rest this afternoon, and I hope you get it. But right now, right now, I wonder if there would be those among us that would just be able to step out and say, God, I need help. I've got this thorn in the flesh. I wonder if we could just come around here and stand rather than kneeling, if we could stand. could stand with open face as men before God. Would you lift your hands and reach out to Him who alone can succor and help strengthen? Praise God. Hallelujah. We need to be honest with God. Let's be open with Him. Let's drop the mask and the veneer for a little while. Nobody here but us. Lord, we want to be men in Christ, but we have this thorn in the flesh.